armor of God. We're going to read the text here in a minute, but I just want to give you an encouragement. You know, the writing that we see comes from Paul. He wrote one third of the New Testament, and he's writing to churches. He's writing to basically just what we are. Paul was very affiliated with church plants, just like we're a church plant, finishing up our eighth year as a church. And so he's writing, giving these instructions, not because he's like, man, I need to think of something creative, you know, 2,000 years from now or more. Um, the children's church workers are going to need some object lessons. We should do this thing about armor of God. He's like, no, these are, these are truths. These are things that we need to know and comprehend and understand. And um, so it's important for us to not just look at this as like, wow, that was creative. We need to look at it as like, wow, this is God's word and his instruction. It's more than information. This is, this is our battle plan for our life. And so let's read Ephesians 6, chapter 10. You can turn there and we're going to read it every single week. And each week we're going to take different parts from it, but I hope that you have it highlighted. I hope that you have it circled. I hope that you have it maybe even memorized by the time that we're done. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. First thing here, it says, put on the full armor. You got to put everything on. You can't just pick, well, that fits my personality and this is my style. I'm more into this. You got to have the full armor. And it says, take your stand, take your stand, take your stand against the devil. I can't stand for you. The staff can't stand for you. The worship band can't stand for you. Your husband or wife can't stand for you. You have a stand to take against the schemes of the devil. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces in, in, of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that going on, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit for which is the word of God. You may say, I don't know if I believe in spiritual warfare. I don't know. And the reality is whether you believe in it or not, it's still happening. It's like gravity. You might say, ah, you know what? I don't believe in gravity. I don't see any, I can't see it. I don't, you know, you would find out quickly that there's such a thing as gravity. Even John Mayer tells us there's gravity. So if he tells us that, we should believe it. And, uh, and so gravity is a real thing. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. It wouldn't take me very long to start putting up articles of things that even happened in our world just this week alone. And you would be like, you wouldn't be like, oh, those were bad choices. You'd be like, that's evil. Because there's evil in the world. There's always been evil, and we've seen this. And so it doesn't take long for me to tell you that. But what's interesting is like what we do about it, our response to it. I shared this with you last week. I said, could you imagine if I said, oh, my gosh, you need to get to my office immediately. I just found out some information about your family. You've got to get in my office. I need to tell you something. And you sit in my office, and I say, I'm so upset. I can't believe that I have to tell you this, but I found out that a group has targeted your family. They're following your family. They know everything about your family. They're working behind the scenes, things you don't even notice in order to steal, kill, and destroy your family. And, and, and unfortunately, they have a great track record. This enemy pulls it off. He's destroyed so many lives, and it's worse than any Taliban, anything you can imagine. This family, um, they've ruined lives through addiction and all these different things. This enemy is really good at what they do. You would immediately leave my office and make choices to guard and to, to defend your family, wouldn't you? 
You would put things in place to secure yourselves and to make sure you're up safety and all these different things. Keep an eye on your kids. Isn't it ridiculous that we come into church and we hear about how we have a devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, and then we leave here and we're like, nah, maybe I'll read the word, maybe I'll do some things to take a stand. We ought to pay attention and take seriously the attacks on our families. Can I get an amen? Because the scripture says life is but a vapor. It's like if you take the top off a pot and the steam goes up for one second, that's a vapor, just there and then gone a minute. And that's what this life is. It's a blip on a radar. It's a second. It's a moment. And then it's gone compared to eternity. We need to effort and work and live toward eternity, not just for our own lives, but for those around us as well. Think about all the things that we secure. Oh, we got to make sure our money is secure. And they try to sell you, you know, make sure your credit is secure. Make sure all these things are safe and secure that we do in the natural world. How much more so should we be securing the things that eternally matter? And that's what the scripture does is it tells us, hey, I want you to pay attention to this battle, to this warfare, to this intensity that you're facing because it, it's a big, big deal. Uh, Hosea chapter four, verse six says, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. They, they missed it because they didn't pay attention to the details. They didn't have understanding of what it is to walk in spiritual warfare. And so Paul's giving us this instruction of like, hey, you got to pay attention. Don't be destroyed for your lack of understanding. You're in a battle and you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we need to know some things about this. But I'm going to kind of pause this idea of, yes, the devil is after us and spiritual warfare is real, but not everything in your life is the devil's fault. Sometimes we do really stupid things. Well, the devil... He's really after my finances. He's really been attacking me and my finances. I think it's the 16 Starbucks you bought last month. You spent $400. At, well, the devil's right. You know, Pastor, I'd really love to support the church, and I'd love to be able to tithe and put God first. And I'm like, bro, you're in three golf leagues. I got to tell the truth today. Not all of it's the devil attack. Not all of it. It's not the devil's fault that you got yourself back in that unhealthy relationship. You made bad choices and ignored wisdom of counsel. You rejected sound truth when people tried to come in and help you and coach you and speak into you. And, speak, and you went running right back to the same unhealthy thing. You, you made a bad choice. Are you with me? Oh, my kids, the devil's after my kids. You know, the devil, uh, the devil you know, he's attacking my family. He, I just want to raise godly kids, and I want my kids to learn to love God, and I want them to follow God, and, and, and the devil's really after that. I'm like, the devil's not after that. You didn't put a priority on church. You come to church every seventh week, and then you want your kids to grow up loving God. You've taught your kids that sports and camping and vacation comes before God. And we kind of tell the truth today. That's not spiritual attack. That's you not prioritizing your life. Can I get an amen today? But if you think about it naturally, naturally, some of the things that we do shouldn't actually be that hard. They shouldn't be as hard as they are. Why are they so hard? Well, it is spiritual attack. It shouldn't be that hard to pray. If I were to walk around the room and be like, hey, is it a desire of your life to every day pray for your kids? Is it a desire of your life every day to, to pray for your friends, your family, people that you love? Is it a desire of your heart every day to pray for your business and your church and hopefully pray for your pastor a little bit and, you know, pray? Is that a desire of your heart? Everybody would be like, yeah, that's a huge desire of my heart. I would love to every day pray. But why is it so hard? Because the minute you start praying, the enemy goes, uh-oh, I feel threatened by that. 
uh-oh, if they start doing that, that's going to make an impact on my kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Oh, gosh. And so the attention then swings over here and starts distracting you and getting you off the court, and all of a sudden you start feeling sleepy. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, do you use a sleep aid? Do you ever use a sleep aid to go to sleep? Yeah, I do. It's called prayer. Start praying. Is it there? I'm kidding. You guys feel? Everybody looks at me. Oh, pastor. But why does that happen? Why do we come in and it's worship? It's our time to worship. It's our one time of the week. It shouldn't be that hard. Come in and we get to give adoration to God and we get to give thanks to him. And we get to talk about how grateful we are for how he loves us and all that he's done for us. And we get to worship together as brothers and sisters. That shouldn't be hard to do. But all of a sudden you get in here and it's time to give God your best. And all of a sudden our mind goes over to like, did I feed the dog today? Did I move the dentist appointment? What are we doing? We're in our, it's a time to, you understand what I'm talking about today? Giving financially, it shouldn't be that hard for us to prioritize generosity and living the way God called us to do in our finances. It shouldn't be that hard because God promises, test me in this. If you do this, I'll open the windows of heaven. It shouldn't be that hard. But why is it hard? Because when you do, then the enemy says, oh, I feel threatened by this. Because generosity, that's going to make a difference and God's going to get behind them. Are you with me today? Why is it so hard? Because it's spiritual attack. Spiritual attack is real. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so hopefully between the setup of this sermon and last week's sermon, we've all come to the point of, yes, spiritual warfare is real, but what do we do with it? And so that's what I want to help you with today. If we all say, okay, yeah, spiritual warfare is real, now I want to try to help you engage in spiritual warfare. So i got a few points for you, and I hope you take notes in this, uh, but point number one is this. If spiritual warfare is real and you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you, then point number one would be this. You must understand spiritual attack must be expected. You must expect the fact that you're going to get under spiritual attack in your life, where things are going to come up against you and things are going to try to come around you. The scripture says, remember, it said that things you can't even see are happening. There's forces of good and evil happening, setting themselves up against you. And so you need to understand spiritual attack must be expected. Why? Because enemies only hunt what's valuable. Uh, you've never seen a bunch of the guys getting around today. Man, can't wait for opening day, opening day roadkill hunt tomorrow. Today's the day we're all going to go. Depending where you grew up, this might actually be the case. But you don't really, people say, oh, circle around. There's a deer on the side of the road, been there about three days. We got to go get that thing. No one's doing that. Why? Because it doesn't have value anymore. It doesn't have any value. But if something has value, then you pursue it. And so the enemy sees that you have great value to the kingdom of God. Therefore, he's going to try to eliminate you. Therefore, he's going to try to attack you. So you're under spiritual attack, and you should expect it. Why? Because you're valuable to the kingdom, and you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Can I get amen today? So it happens all the time around here. You know, we're, we, we start going to take territory for God. We, we have a dream or a vision or a passion or maybe Easter's coming up where we see high levels of salvation or we plan a conference like the women's conference and it's going to be sold out in this big thing. Or, uh, you know, we, we take these steps to invade the kingdom of darkness and everything goes crazy. Equipment starts breaking. Everybody's fighting. Everyone's arguing. Everybody's getting sick. All this stuff starts going out. Why? Because we start to take more ground and threaten more. And so the spiritual attack intensifies. Yeah. 
You might say at the beginning of the year, this year we're going to be committed on Sundays. We're going to go and we're, you know, this year we're going to spend time in devotion with kids. And maybe you signed up for the Bible reading plan and you're like, this year we're going to really put God first. And all of a sudden it's the hardest year of your life. You're like, wait a minute. I thought Pastor Josh said the best is yet to come. You know, like, no, no, like spiritual attack. As you take ground, the enemy steps in because we got to be aware of it, though. Think about this. Jesus, before the greatest three and a half years of ministry to ever happen on earth. So before Jesus stepped into his ministry, he first went under intense spiritual attack, the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness. He goes into the desert and he's fasting and he's praying. He's being tempted by the enemy and all this stuff is happening. But it was right before his greatest breakthrough, he faced the most spiritual intensity and attack. I would take it one step even further before uh, his destiny and his purpose and the work of the cross for all of our lives. You guys remember in the garden, he's literally praying and sweating blood. Such spiritual warfare intensity. Remember, he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, could you let this cup pass from me? Before his greatest breakthrough, he had his most intense spiritual warfare. Why? Because the enemy's always going to attack what is valuable. It was intense. I thought about this. You could say it like this. The level of which you are attacked exposes the level of your ability in an area. God's called you. He's equipped you. He's assigned you. He's put you into something. And all of a sudden, here comes the enemy starting to attack. Why? Because you have an ability there that he's trying to take out. You know, in sports, uh, when a coach puts a team together or begins to, you know, scheme against the other team, because that's what the enemy does, he schemes against us. He says, okay, I got to see what I'm looking at. And what they focus on is the best player on the other team. Which one's the best player? Which one has the greatest ability? Which one uh, is going to be the biggest threat to my team? And so they build up an attack to take out, or a coach would say, to shut down or limit the greatest player. Why do you think the enemy is working so hard right now to take out the kingdom of God and the purpose of church? Because he's looking at it and he's saying, oh man, there's strength over there. Think about the time and the hour that we're living in. It should get you excited that things are so crazy. You want to know why they're so crazy? Because the enemy is like emptying his arsenal in this hour because he realizes the promise and the potential and the revival that's on the way. Think about teenagers right now. Think about what they got to walk into in school and the things that they got to face and the choices they got to make and the ability to be able to be themselves and be true and certainly to stand up for purity and righteousness and holiness and to walk into these environments in public school. Think about what they're facing. All Why is the enemy so hard after our teenagers right now? Because he knows the scripture says in the last days, young men and old men are going to come together. Are you, ta- you understand what I'm talking about? And they're going to dream dreams and have vision and bring about an end time revival. So he's saying that threatens me. Therefore, here's all the spiritual attack. And so we got to understand that, that we got to defend our young people. We got to equip our young people. We got to live it for our young people. Can I get an amen? So the devil is threatened by your potential. Point number two spiritual attack must be exposed. Spiritual attack must be exposed. It's one thing to be like, spiritual warfare is real. It must be another, you know, another thing to be like, oh, the devil is real. Uh, but when it's coming against you, you have to do something about it. You got to call it out. That's why the scripture gave us the ability to rebuke. I know that's like a crazy Pentecostal, past the snakes kind of service talk, but that's a good word. God give us authority to be able to rebuke and cast down. And so we got to be able to call out things when they're not in order. I thought about Jesus. He demonstrated this for us. Jesus, 
is telling his disciples he's about to go to the cross. Hey, my purpose, my potential, what I'm called to do, my assignment is to go to the cross, die for the sins of mankind. He's telling the disciples, I'm going to the cross. And Peter says, pipes up and says, we're not going to let that happen, Lord. That's not going to happen for you. And Jesus says back to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He's speaking to the spiritual attack of this misunderstanding and confusion that one of his disciples are having. This disciple is speaking the opposite of the assignment. And so he just calls out the spiritual atmosphere right in the moment. says, get behind me, Satan. It doesn't work as good in our life. Like, hey, Jess, um, this guy in the church, he wants to go golfing with me. Good guy. And, you know, the Bible says community. You know, we should be hanging out, fellowshipping. And, uh, you know, I know I golfed yesterday and the day before that. But I, I really should go with this guy. She's like, you're not going with him. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. It's the work of the evil one in you. Just kidding. She wouldn't do that. She'd be like, you're golfing with me. That's who's golfing. Let's go. And uh, he calls it out. He calls this out. And I think we've got to learn to get in positions where we use the life and death of the power of our tongue. And we say, wait a minute. I'm understanding this environment right now does not line up with the characteristic and nature of God. Christ has come to set me free. So anything that has bound me here is spiritual attack and I need to call it out. So if you're walking in extreme confusion, it's an attack of spiritual warfare. You just find yourself in a season where you're like, I don't know how I feel about this. And I'm irritable and I'm irritated. I'm confused and I feel like I'm in a fog and I don't know what's going on. Well, God is a God of order. So when you're walking in this disorder, in this confusion, in this dysfunction, it's spiritual warfare. It's the kingdom of darkness operating in your life. Remember when the scripture says that the snake came in, the spiritual attack, the first one we saw, comes in and tries to bring confusion. Has God really said, you can sleep with him before marriage? Come on. Hello. Did God really say that they can't be married, that they can't do it this way? Uh, Maybe. Has God really... And so the author of confusion comes in and tries to distort and confuse. Even in your marriage, do I even love him anymore? Maybe I'm better off if we just, maybe this isn't going to work. Are you with me? And so that's where you need to call out and rebuke and bind the spiritual attack that's happening in your mind. And you got to, that's why the scripture says that with our mind, with our thoughts, we need to have the mind of Christ. Why? Because spiritual attack will try to bring that confusion. Another one is lack of peace. If you keep finding yourself in seasons where you're not walking in peace, the scripture says that that Christ is our prince of peace, that if we are walking and we're in the things of God, that you ought to be able to find a place of of peace. If you have anxiety and fear and anxiousness, that's the enemy. And so you're going to have to call it out just like Jesus. Hey, get behind me, Satan. These things that are trying to present themselves, it's spiritual attack on my life, trying to get me off my path. Another one is the desire to quit. You got your prayer life, and you're called, and you're assigned, and you're, you're praying. All of a sudden, the enemy comes in, and it's like, oh, you're still praying about that? You're never going to see breakthrough in that. Your kids are never going to come around. Your finances are never going to come around. Why don't you just quit praying so much? Oh, you're going to serve at church again? You worked all week, and then you're going to go in and serve? You know you're not making a difference. You know nobody knows your name. You know nobody cares. You know nobody. It's just the little kids up in kids, but nobody. But you should just quit that. Have your Sundays back. That's spiritual attack if they're trying to get you to get away from what God has called you to. Can I get amen today? The scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. God's called us to walk in faithfulness. Not this, should we quit? Should we stop? Should we? Are you with me today? 
Temptation is another big spiritual attack we saw in Jesus' life. Uh, one of the things that you're going to face, that you're going to have to understand and call out, is temptation. Uh, Jesus is, again, in the wilderness, and the scripture says he's fasting for 40 days. And so what does the enemy come in? The enemy comes in with a temptation and says, hey, you want me to turn that stone into bread for you? And tempts Jesus. I'm telling you, in your life, spiritual attack is when you find unusual temptation. Man, you know what? Maybe I would be better off with somebody else. This isn't working. Maybe I should be with somebody else. Or maybe for you, the enemy comes in and tempts you with a good thing. It's a position at your work. Oh, man, if I took that position, yeah, I know I wouldn't be able to serve at church. Yeah, I know I wouldn't be able to the kids' stuff as much. I'd, I'd be in less of a role in my family. But 20K more, it's hard to say no to that. Tempts you with a good thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I asked for service this, and it's a dumb question, but I was like, is this all right? Is this okay for you? And then I thought to myself, what if everybody said no? Like, no, it's not good. What am I going to do? Just go home? But I hope these practical instructions are good for you. So these temptations, one that I see in, in religion, in church, is people are always tempted with the olden days. God, God brought you into a new environment, and, and you're, you, you've been growing in God, and then all of a sudden the, the enemy comes in and tempts, just like you did to the Israelites, just like you did. Yeah, you remember the olden days? I guess that wasn't so bad. Maybe we could go back to the way it was. Maybe, maybe, and so the good old glory days, he tries to tempt you with what was. So we got to know how to call it out and, uh, and say it for what it is. This spiritual warfare, we bind this, we rebuke this, and there's all sorts of ways that that could be operating in your life. Point number three is this. You got to know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. The scripture clearly talks about you have an enemy who, who looks to steal, kill, and destroy from you. I thought about it like this. If you were to take a boxer, like, hey, you're going to have a championship fight. You're going to have an ability uh, to fight for the belt. Uh, you would never have a fighter be like, all right, cool, let's go, and, and not who they know who they were going to face. Anytime a boxer is about to box somebody, what do they do? They make sure the weight class is the same. They, 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 you know, a lot of the times their, their heights, their punch, all these things, they, they make sure they line them up. Why? Because the, the, the boxer wants to know, who am I going to face here? What am I up against? What, what, how am I going to have to prepare? How am I going to have to tra train? What am I going to be having to watch out for? Do they do quick jabs? Are they knockout punchers? I need to know the enemy that I'm going to face. And it's the same thing in our life. We need to know the characteristics of this devil who's trying to take us out or he'll take us out. So I'm giving you three characteristics of the devil uh, in the way that he tries to take you out. The first one is a characteristic of the devil that we know, and that is that he's destructive. He causes great pain. You know, he's not a nice guy who makes some bad choices. It says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy every time. He doesn't play nice. Uh, we were in Boyne, uh, which is a town way up north, and uh, it's on Lake Charlevoix. We were camping up there, and uh, we actually had one of the sites on the beach, and so our kids had, like, the big inflatable, like, Shamu and, like, a huge turtle and, like, a 70-foot rainbow unicorn that we had on the thing, and those were all out on the beach, and uh, in the middle of the night, like, I started getting alerts on my phones, and it, and it said that a crazy big storm is coming with high winds, and um, it ended up being, like, a small, almost tornado, I forget what it was, um, but here it is in the middle of the night, and it's like, oh my gosh, so I'm getting these alerts about high winds, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, all that stuff is out on the shore, and it's going to blow around, and they're giving us notifications saying if you have a slide out on your camper, because it has like canopies, you need to bring the slide out in uh, to your camper, which actually looked really funny, because those of you that don't know it, it shrinks your camper into like all your living space. Well, our kids were sleeping, so they woke up, and they were like, <laughs> the whole camper shrunk in, 
And then I thought to myself, you know, they can't get out. This is the better way to camp. Like, I, this is, it's slide out day, kids. Sorry. Feed them a peanut butter and jelly. Here you go. So this storm, like, here comes the storm. And I'm getting all the alerts. And so, I, of course, I had to be like, hey, Jess, you better go out there and get those things. Just kidding. I didn't do that. But I remember when we left town the next day, trees were toppled over. Some trees snapped over. Like, businesses were ruined. Things were blown off buildings. And I remember being like, what's crazy is, like, we didn't see the wind. Like, we didn't see the wind. But it was so destructive. And the thing about us is the scripture talks about how our enemy, he's a thief. We'll talk about it in a moment. He's not going to show you how he's destructive. You just see it. And so for me as a pastor, I keep seeing the effects of his destruction and we don't see it in our lives. Negativity is a big one right now. So many people, especially Christians even, are sucked into the news right now, and you're negative, negative, and you're reading headlines and articles, negative, 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 so much negative. And so you don't even see that the enemy is spiritually attacking you in this area of negativity, but I'm seeing the destruction all around your family. Another one is fear. Oh, what's it going to be? What's going to happen? Are they going to do this? Is this going to happen? Fear, 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 fear. And you don't even see how the enemy is spiritually attacking you in the area of fear, but I can see the destruction all around you. Another huge one that's happening right now is isolation. People, because of everything that has happened, they're they're saying things like this. You know, in this last year, you know, we've really just, we've just stayed home. We've really just been to ourselves. Oh, you know what we enjoy? We just, you know, we just enjoy watching online. You know, we just found it, you know, a lot easier, a lot more comfortable to just watch online. It works better for me to do it this way. And what I'm scared is I'm seeing destruction. Because Genesis said, it's not good if you do it alone. We need each other. We got to be together. So this culture of like, "Eh, you know, I'm good on my own. You're not good on your own. The scripture says, actually, all the more in the end days, don't give up the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Be together. Can I get amen today? Another characteristic of him is uh, he's deceptive, as I just mentioned. He's a deceiver. He deceives. We have this picture of the devil through cartoons that whenever he wants to spiritually attack you, he's going to pop up on your shoulder. Hey, I'm the devil, and I'm going to get you to make a bad choice. No, no. He says he's a thief, and a good thief conceals his identity. A thief doesn't show up in your neighborhood knocking on the door. Hey, just so you know, I'm a robber, and uh, just checking out your home. Where do you keep your valuables? Would really like to. No, they move in deception, and they deceive you. And so they take things that sound good and deceive and twist. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen says in no one or verse 14 and no wonder for satan himself masquerades hides as an angel of light i'll say it to you like this not everything that looks good is good you can be deceived not everything that looks good is good to some of my young people the single people in here not everything that looks good is good for you is it pulling you away from your church family Is something that looks good pulling you away from a healthy relationship? Is something that looks good pulling you away from who you want to be and what you're called to be? Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. He's a deceiver. He's a twister of things. He he hides in almost truths. We see it right now politically, and I won't get too politically, but uh, we see the way that he twists and deceives. He said, has God really said... But then we also use these words that are good words, but they're baked in something that's deceptive and destructive. So we use words like this. Oh, the church, 
should be, and the church ought to be this, and Christians ought to be, and so we say inclusive. Inclusive is a really good word, and by the way, the church is inclusive, and we love all, and we accept all, and we welcome all. Can I get an amen? But we also believe God's word is true, and that there is a right and a wrong, and that God has a design for lies, right? But, it, but we cutely say things like inclusive, but really it's baked in some things that don't line up with the word of God. Yeah. Or we say we need to be affirming. Affirming is a really good word. Affirmation is God's desire and his design, by the way. Yeah. Some other group didn't design affirmation. God designed that and wired us for that. But we bake it into the wrong thing. I'm not going to affirm somebody all the way to hell because their lifestyle doesn't line up with what God says. Can I get him in today? And so affirming is another one. Another thing that we do, they're good words. They're good words, but they're used and they're baked in destructive patterns when we say things like, these lives matter. And then we say, no, no, these lives matter more. I'm here to say black lives matter for sure. And I'm here to say that police lives matter. Are you with me? But the enemy comes in and he twists these groups that they need to go against each other. God's called us to unity. And I understand there's this deception and this destruction and these things that get baked into. Why? Because he's a deceiver and he wants to divide us. The last one is we say things that are good things. Women's rights are a really good thing. We believe in women's rights and supporting women. And I said it at the women's conference. God didn't make women from men's feet because they're called to be behind or underneath their feet. He took them from their side. We're called to walk alongside each other, men and women, in unity, complementing each other. Oxygen is really important in a body. If you don't have oxygen, you're dead. Blood is really important in a body. If you don't have blood, you're dead. Not one is greater than the other. Are you with me? Men and women are called to work together alongside each other. So women's right is really important. But the unborn life is really important, too. Can I get an amen today? And so we say women's rights, and we say this, and that's a really good, but then it gets twisted and lost in deception. So we got to pay attention. Another characteristic of the enemy is he's determined. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He's prowling. He's determined. He's aggressive. The scripture says, this is our part, resist him standing firm in faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. My son is six and he got back into football or he's getting into football and we're watching football and thank God Michigan's good. So we're actually enjoying football so far. And, uh, and, uh, and so uh, downstairs in our basement is where my TV is and the couch is behind us. And so... Um, he wants to play football, and so I put him on that side of the thing, and I'm down on the ground. And if he runs to the, to the couch, that's the touchdown. And, uh, but me, I'm resisting him. You know, he comes running at me, and I just smash him into the wall, you know. Like, and, uh, and I'm resisting him. I'm in the posture of aggressively resisting him. I'm guarding the end zone. And that's what the Scripture is saying. It's saying, hey, you need to resist the enemy, a good, good lineman for a football team. They're trying to protect the quarterback. They're resisting. They're on guard. They're pushing back the schemes of the enemy. But too many Christians these days aren't resisting. They're, they're the kid out on the field just catching the butterfly, picking their nose. You're called to be resisting. You're out there 
picking your hi mom in the crowd and the enemy is prowling you. You're not resisting, you're not praying, you're not fasting, you're not seeking God, you're not doing anything to push back the enemy. You're the little kid and you're not understand why you're getting run over. Resist. That is an aggressive posture that we need to take. And so we have to be able to resist. And then point number four is this, you need to know your part. You need to know your part in resisting the enemy. You need to know your part in spiritual warfare. And we find it in verse 10, it's this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Scripture said in his mighty power, your part is to be strong in the Lord, not in your own power. Uh, I want to kind of clear something up. We have these terrible catchphrases in church that we say. This scripture is not saying, like, be stronger, be better. That's not what this is. So, so what's our part? Well, you got to be strong. It's like when we, like, you know, tell a spouse, and you're never supposed to do this, or tell anybody, uh, you just get over it. Well, that's not how it works. And it doesn't turn out well when you say that. But we walk around in church saying things like, you got to have more faith. What, you know, there's more to it than that. And so the scripture is beginning to teach us what it looks like to be strong in the power of God. And so I want to illustrate it for you. Many of you know that uh, uh, several years ago, I've talked about this before, uh, I would go uh, to the CrossFit gym. I would work out at CrossFit. Eli's back here. I think I see him and his wife, Natalie. They run CrossFit Holland. Uh, special that I'm making up right now. If you want to be a part of Holland CrossFit, I think you should. 50% off your first month. Is that fair? Do we do that? Okay, he disagreed. Yeah, just tell him I sent you. And uh, but for real, it's a great community of people and believers. And and if you are looking for something to do, fun and fitness, uh, you should check them out. But I used to go there um, until I graduated. Eli finally told me like, hey, there's not a reason for you to go here anymore. <laughs> you've you've made it. And he gave me this badge, which is really cool. And uh, do you still have my picture on the wall? I think you do. Yeah, yeah, he does. My picture's on the wall there. If you go there. But there's this thing in working out, it's called working out until failure, which means you've done something under your own strength until you can no longer do it. So as many reps as possible until you physically fail the ability to do that. You've done it at your own failure. And so I remember the day that I went in there and uh, it was like pull-ups. You had to do pull-ups on the bar. Now, many of you, if you haven't tried a pull-up in a long time, I promise you, you can't do a pull-up anymore. Uh, When you're a kid, you do a thousand of them, but you get up to it now and, and you, you can't even jump and do a pull-up. Like, you just can't. And so I see all these huge dudes over here, and they're getting, there's two kinds of things with the pull-up bar. You do a pull-up, you got to get over the bar. Then a muscle-up is you pull yourself then up and over the bar, which is insane. So it's pull-up time, and, and I notice all, like, the huge dudes are going over there, and they're, like, practicing their pull-ups. And then Eli comes over to me with this thing. And, uh, and I'm like, dude, they said CrossFit's intense, but why is he going to hit me while I do this? <laughs> Like, I'm like, dude, you go to my church. Like, I thought we were cool. But he comes over to this thing. He puts it over the bar, and, and he's like, uh, I'm like, so like, what are we going to do with that? He's like, well, I'm going to need you to put your foot, put your foot in that and then, and then push up while you do a pull-up. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, because you're going to need assistance <laughs> in that pull-up. I was no longer doing it in my own strength. And so many of us are doing it in our own strength to failure own strength. Do you know that I could do a whole lot more when I stepped into some other level of strength? When I got into some other level of mighty power, I was going all day long. I was over there looking at Brad like, you done, bro? That's it? (laughs) Brad's going all day long. They had to open the gym early for Brad. That's how good he was at CrossFit. But some of you are like this. You're like, 
You're like, I'm going to do this in my own strength. I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm going to fix the kids in my own strength into failure. I'm, I'm going to get over these insecurities my way. And I'm going to read the books. And I'm going to end it. And you're not tapping into the power of God. He said, be strong in my mighty power. Step into the assistance. Can I get an amen today? What I love about scripture is God never does it the hard way for us. The scripture says this, or I, I studied this. Most of the time God calls us to be strong. He follows it up by saying, you can be strong because I'm going to be with you. We, we quote Joshua, be strong and courageous. Remember, he's stepping into the promised land. He's stepping into what God has for him, all the potential that God has for him. And he says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. But then it says, how can you do that? Because I'm with you. Yeah. It's in my strength. Habakkuk 3.19 says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Isaiah 35.4 says, say to those with fearful, fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He'll come in what? Be your strength. Scripture goes on to talk about he'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution, and he will come to save you. I wrote it down like this. Strong in the Lord isn't God giving you strength. Strong in the Lord is God becoming your strength. We just got out of the You Say series, unbelievable series of crazy testimonies of God's goodness and faithfulness. But the reality is, nobody saw that those families had to step into the power of God to be able to make it. Oh, wow, what a crazy testimony. You guys are so strong. They're like, no, we're not. You didn't see the fasting and the crying and the praying and the worshiping. Are oh, you understand what I'm talking about? All those people, they made it through because they said, I can't do this on my own because I'll do it to failure. I've got to step into the power of God. Amen? Psalm 73, 26 says, my, David, my, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Saying like, like in the natural, it may all fail, but that's actually okay because God is my portion and my strength. I'll close with this. I told you David, um, we talk a little bit about David today because he super understands spiritual warfare. One of the greatest warriors uh, that we see in scripture. And David, oftentimes, this is what was said about him. We see it in 1 Samuel 30. David was greatly distressed because his, his, his group, his guys, uh, they wanted to kill him. So he's under all this turmoil. His people have turned on him. They're talking of killing him. And he says this in 1 Samuel 30. He says, the scripture says that he strengthened himself in his history of warfare. No, he strengthened himself in wisdom. No, no, he strengthened himself in the Lord. One of the ways he was such a great and incredible warrior and had success in all of those things is because he knew the secret of spiritual warfare is that your strength is found in God. Not tapping into my own power, my own understanding, my own wisdom, but instead stepping into the power of God in the way that he leads us. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Uh, that's why Paul said, again, in scripture, he said, I boast in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, he's strong. When I don't have it all together, I can step into the power of God and he can be strong. Uh, I grew up watching pro wrestling, and I would be lying if I didn't say I still peek at it every once in a while. But tag team matches are my favorite, you know, exciting. You got one guy on the outside of the ring, one guy's inside wrestling, 
and it's two against each other, sometimes more. But every time in the ring, it's so exciting. Uh, one of the guys just so beat down. He's in the ring, and he can't do it anymore. And the other team is definitely going to win, and they're in there. And then and so he's just got to get to the corner because the rule is if you can get over to the corner and tag your teammate, he gets to jump in, and he's fresh and ready to go. And really, <laughs> it's the perfect picture. It's the perfect picture of God in our corner. When you're just out of it, when you just, and it's exciting. The crowd's like, get there, come on, get there. Tag them, yeah. Jim Ross, here comes Kane. You know, it's the best. And then they whoop everybody, and then they get the bell, and the crowd goes crazy. But you got somebody in your corner. Jesus, God's power is like, right here, just make the tag. Let me come in and handle this for you. we got to make the tag. So many of us are like, no, and you never make your way to God's power. That's why the scripture says this, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds. We got strongholds to pull down. We got things we got to pull down, but we don't do it by our own might. We do it by being mighty in God. Amen? All right, why don't you stand to your feet? I want to do something a little different today. We'll dim the lights just a little bit, but I want to pray into this with nobody looking around, nobody paying attention to the neighbor. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I feel like I'm under spiritual attack. Maybe you identify with one of those categories. Maybe confusion, wanting to quit. Maybe you're just tempted with something that you can't resist. Whatever you feel like the enemy is trying to do, he's a deceiver, a confuser. Maybe he's planting lies, whatever it is. But if you say, man, Pastor, I feel like I'm under spiritual attack. When nobody looking around, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. Just, just put it over. You say, that's me. I just, it's a sign between you and God that you're saying, like, I need to make a tag here, God. I, I need to tag you, and I want to be, <laughs> I want to be in your power. I don't want to do this on my own to failure. I want to be a finisher. I want to be, I, I want to be faith-filled. I want to see this come into all that you have for me. And so we're going to pray into that. But I wrote it down like this. The church will always be underpowered when we fight in our own strength. And we want to take this moment right now to be like, okay, God, we don't want to be underpowered. We want to step into your strength. And I believe that's why God says life and death is in the power of our tongue. He gave us the authority to cast things into the sea. Hey, whatever's coming against you, whatever, that's why we can rebuke. That's, why we, that's what we're going to do in this moment is we're going to say, all right, just like Jesus did, hey, I'm calling out the spiritual attack. I'm going to call it out, and we're going to rebuke it, and we're going to believe God's power can make a difference. So let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. Even watching online, you see the heart of every person in this room and online. God, you see what they're facing. You see what they're walking through. But God, your word says that if we resist the devil, he must flee. And so, God, we are resisting right now. We're rebuking any attack of the enemy, anything that may be set up against a family or a person, Lord, a business, a career, physical well-being, whatever the enemy is trying to attempt, we rebuke and bind and say it will come to naught in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you can give us sound mind, that you can allow us to resist temptation, Lord, that you have called us and believe that we're able to walk faithfully. So God, right now, we just thank you that you have come. Your word says that you've come to set us free. You're setting us free right here in this moment. We thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.